The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people, my friends, just try and make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. It took some faraway debacle involving a Swiss bank for it to dawn us, just dawn on everybody, that the whole world seems to be having a banking crisis. Banking crisis, very bad for business. That's right. We left here last night feeling good, darn good about the market. Solid bounce in our banks, huge move in tech. At 3.30 a.m. when I get up, I look at always how the markets are doing, and it seemed like we're in for another decent day. Excellent follow-through to a real comeback session. Then, totally out of left field, the Matterhorn of banks, Credit Suisse, lost the support of his biggest backer. Uh, just when it looked like that it might be turned a quarter after months and months of purgatory, with the stock going below two bucks in early trading, a particularly brutal come down for a one-story franchise. Yep, we in the U.S. were looking real good until the moment the Saudi National Bank said it would not buy any more shares of Credit Suisse. It already owns 10% of the company. Our market then, out of nowhere, in the dark, that's right, pre-market trading dropped 500 straight down points. And that was at 5.30 a.m. By the close, we saw the Dow finish off 281 points. Actually, remember, a rally from 5 a.m. And the Nasdaq inched up 0.05%, but the S&P lost 0.7%. How the heck could the cessation of Saudi investing in one crummy Swiss bank have such an impact here? The answer is twofold. One, it shouldn't. In fact, my squawk on the street compadre, David Faber, has been chronicling the fall of Credit Suisse, the endless missteps for ages. It's almost become a running joke between us. It's a ridiculous sideshow. But two, it seems Wall Street's starting to recognize that instead of a small banking crisis involving three outfits in this country, maybe, and ones, by the way, you probably never heard of until Sunday, we may have an international debacle that's striking a tremendous level of fear all over the place. I'm gauging that fear by what's known as 
a flight to quality out of anything risky, think stocks, and into safety, think treasuries. Frankly, bonds moved up in value and down in interest rates so fast that you would have thought you were looking at a small cap tech company that got a takeover bid from Microsoft. Normally, when long-term rates drop, it's great for the economy and even better for the stock market. But you know what? It matters why they're going down. And in this case, rates are going down because there's a widespread fear that there's a global economy slowdown. That's right, that the rapid rate hikes that have been put through by all these central banks are now really starting to hurt business. Right direction, wrong reason. Now, unlike most people, I actually grow more constructive as the market goes lower and interest rates go lower. I saw a lot of stocks get hit today, even though they belong to companies that do just fine in a weak economy. So that's wrong, especially in a deeply oversold market. See, I think that's the opportunity. At the same time, I'm not enthused about any stock in the bank blast zone. Then there's also this third group of stocks I'm working with right now in my mind, the ones that do poorly when the economy falls off the cliff, the steels, the coppers, the plate on industrials. They've come unglued, but the stocks have gone down so fast so far that maybe even they're interested. Which brings me to the heart of the matter. Next week's Fed meeting. Because these cyclical stocks are very much hostage to the Fed, as is, frankly, prickly everything else. This is going to be the most momentous Fed meeting in recent memory. Because their next move is so significant, and we don't know what it's going to be. As I've been saying for a year and a half, as long as the Fed keeps raising rates, you're going to have a hard time making money in stocks. You always do have a hard time. And that certainly proved to be true last year, and it's happening again this year. But you have to understand, when rates stop rising, it's not look out below. It's look out above. Especially if we hear that the Fed and Treasury and the FDIC are going to guarantee all deposits at all banks around this country, which they must do to preserve the much-beloved community and regional banks. By the way, beloved by both the Democrats and Republicans. Just a week ago, the economy appeared to be running so hot that Jay Powell stunned us with a view that was incredibly hawkish. You know, that's one week ago to the point where many investors figured he'd hit us with a 50 basis point rate hike this time because inflation has become so persistent. It just seemed like the rates, they, they weren't working these hikes. So maybe the Fed would have to take us up to 6%. I mentioned Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, talked about that. I mean, you've got to try to cool things down. Maybe it takes six. Now, exactly one week later, after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, after the teetering of Credit Suisse, we've gone from thinking that the Fed should raise rates by a half a percent to wondering if it might very soon have to cut rates and stop that thing that's called quantitative tightening, stop selling their bonds, because we sell them. We're in a real hole. We may have sticky inflation in some related areas involving housing and services, but we also have an economy that appears to hit a retaining wall with credit quality declining quickly and lots of jobs being lost. One week. And that's the dilemma that's causing such pressure in the market, to raise or to cut, or maybe... That's not the question. We do two programs for members of the CMUC Investing Club. One is at 1020. That's called the morning meeting. I do these with Jeff Marks. He's my colleague. And the other is called Home Stretch at 2.30 p.m. When we were down big, big today, I said on the morning meeting that you had to buy the stocks of the drugs, the foods, and senior growth tech, particularly Meta, the cost-cutting champ. Why those? Because they're not experiencing any of the problems that's facing the broader economy. The drug stocks are twice plus. They do well in a slowdown. Many have good dividends that seem puny when rates were so high last week. But now long rates are moved so low so quickly that the pharma dividends are attractive, maybe even more attractive. Can the market really be that bifurcated? Absolutely. 
In the vast chaos of the action, I always tell you, and I'm going to spend another whole segment on because it's important when the Dow's down 281, there are always bull markets somewhere. Right now, for example, we have a bull market in semiconductors because there was a huge chip glut, now it's ending. Buy AMD. We have astonishing breakthroughs in artificial intelligence. Go buy NVIDIA next week. Jensen Wong is going to explain to us how much more there is to artificial intelligence than we know. You can buy Microsoft for the same. Hey, you know what? You can buy Adobe after that terrific quarter this evening, and you can buy Meta, even though it was up big yesterday and up big again today. It's not done. Billions of dollars in expenses are coming out of that company, but revenue is going to stay the same or even go up. Of course, some areas are just so in the blast zone that I don't want to get behind them. Can't like everything. The bank's too dicey for me. They've come down a lot. But the seizures and the closings last week are really death sentences for these institutions. I don't like stocks that can suffer the death penalty. According to my friend Michael Semblis, he's the chairman of Markets and Investments Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management, the healthy banks may ultimately have to pay for the funerals of the bad banks. And those funerals can be very expensive. So there go the earnings. Oils? Eh, gripped by a deflationary spiral, not so hot. I thought oil would hold 70. I was wrong. They're in free fall. Joy to pal. Not so great for me. Ah, and here's the real irony. Why is the Fed still fighting inflation if almost everything has come down in the last six days? All the prices are pretty much everything. Is the Fed fighting inflation when the most deflationary force there is, a collapse in the banking system, is right in front of us? The answer, anything that can go down this much could conceivably go back that much. That cuts to the Fed saying, wait and see next week. And if we get that, the market could be a coiled spring going higher, not lower. The risk at last is to the upside. Bottom line, these are indeed confusing times. But fortunately, we're close to the point where the Fed may feel the need to take desperate measures that could be fantastic for your stocks, for your portfolio. We just don't know if it will be enough to outweigh the bad from this snowballing banking crisis. But any more bad news tips this went over the edge, the edge to the bulls, not the bears. Let's go to Raphael Louisiana. Raphael. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call today. Of um, course, buddy. Get, what's going on? I want to get your thoughts on 3M. Um, today they hit a new 52-week low. Um, and they're still involved with that lawsuit over the, the faulty earplug. You know, I have them in my, my portfolio partly because their dividend yield is around 5.8%, which is pretty good. Um, so I want your thoughts on Is it time to, to uh, buy I'm more? I'm glad you called me on this. Raphael, I'm glad you called me on this. My dad, my dad, one of his many jobs was to sell scotch tape in 3M board games. And I have to tell you, I, too, am very concerned about 3M. Uh, the problem with the uh, with combat arms is really about tinnitus, which I know very well since I have it. Uh, the problem with groundwater, it's almost impossible to get the bad stuff out of groundwater. So I'm very concerned, too. All right. You're right to be worried. These are confusing times, but we're close to the point where the Fed may feel the need to take desperate measures that could be fantastic for your portfolio. We don't know yet. But the risk is to the upside. Mid money tonight. The banking crisis has the market on edge. I'm actually giving you some specific names to play it. I'll reveal what I've got my eye on. And then, tough day for the averages. T-Mobile managed to end the green. With news it's acquiring, Ryan Reynolds is back Mint Mobile. I'll find out what's next for the company with the CEO and Deadpool himself, Ryan Reynolds. Wow. And it will be important after the bell. So what made this quarter stand out? I'm digging the numbers. The company's not fair, so stay with... Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nothing like a truism to hold up in even the craziest of markets. That's why I never mind repeating, as I did this morning on Spoke in the Street, that it's time to buy a drug stock. Because what the heck does all this craziness have to do with the price to earnings ratio of Bristol Mars? I love that mantra because in 40 years of investing, so it's never been wrong. Bristol Myers simply has zero economic sensitivity. It always has enough new drugs in the pipeline to ensure it can beat the estimates down the road. It always has an above market dividend yield, which makes it a lot more enticing when the bond market competition fizzles out, which is exactly what happened today. This stock was down about 40 cents when I went into my Bristol Myers rap and squawk on the street. And by the end of the day, it seemed as though I was some sort of mentalist, a kind of Kramer fave owes the mentalist as the stock finished up more than a buck. But actually, I'm not a psychic, nor psychotic for that matter. I'm really a student of stock history. When you have commodity prices collapsing like we saw today and rates going lower, there's nothing especially negative about Bristol-Myers, the news, then people will be willing to pay more for this high-quality drug stock. It works every time. A week ago, we were gripped with fears that the economy remained too hot, resulting in endless inflation. Today, we're gripped with fear that the economy is experiencing a devastating cyclone of bank failures, and Bristol-Myers is the seller. 
where you can ride it all out. Now, in truth, it might pay to look at everything that could work in a downturn because we're certainly looking at a bruiser if Credit Suisse goes under and there's another shocking run on a U.S. bank, assuming the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and FDIC don't wake up and start agreeing to, deposit, to, to guarantee all deposits, which is, of course, the only thing that will actually prevent another run from happening. And we will most certainly get one. So at the risk of what I call being constructive. Let's talk about what could go higher, not lower, but higher when things are really bad. First is China. Now, Washington today's tsunami of selling was perhaps the second most important story after the gaffing of Credit Suisse. Today was the first day that China was open for our business executives with visas to fly there and get some business done. Everyone from mining executives, cosmetics, drugs, food companies, they've been locked out of China since the start of the pandemic. So American companies that do business over there could be about to get a major boost. And that's one reason we own Starbucks and Estee Lauder for the charitable trust. Both were thriving without their American CEOs going over. Who knows what could happen once they're there to do some business now that it's wide open. Second, there is the end of the inventory glutton semiconductors. For more than a year now, the chipmakers have suffered from a gigantic oversupply of semis because they mistakenly thought there'd be endless demand for chips for personal computers. Yes, of course, it wasn't endless. It was just a spike in demand from people who were working at home. In reality, it was a head fake. Just as the consumers bought all the hardware they needed, the chipmakers were finally ramping like mad. It's taken a year. Who would have thought, though, that the demand would fall by almost 40% year over year for PC? But now it looks like at last the glut has finally been absorbed. And that's how AMD could rally two bucks on such a nasty day. That's another reason to buy the stock of NVIDIA. Lots of PC exposure there, too. Don't forget the March 21st keynote for Artificial Intelligence by Jensen Wong. Third, I know it doesn't feel like this after today's horrific action, but we have incredible daily proof that the aerospace cycle is on fire with a backlog that could last for years, long after the hills are no longer alive with the sound of a Credit Suisse funeral dirge. We just spoke to Darius and Damshek. He's the outgoing CEO of Honeywell last night. Could things have gotten that bad in 24 hours? He couldn't even quantify how huge the demand is. Sure, you might say United Airlines gave you a tough set of numbers, but I'll trump that with Delta giving you a good one. I think the latter's telling the truth and that the former needs planes to meet persistent demand anyway. Boeing just got a mega order out of the Middle East. I bet it's the first of many mega orders, especially from China, now that our visa-carrying executives can go there and do some business. Yes, historically, airlines tend to be the most cyclical of industries. Total boom and bust. But that's not the cycle that we're talking about. They are also companies that have to buy planes because planes get old and need too much maintenance, just like a car that gets too expensive to run if you keep holding it year after year. Regardless of what's happened to Silicon Valley Bank, China needs planes, the U.S. needs planes, Europe needs planes, South America needs planes. And now Boeing stock is finally starting to come back, come back down after a blistering run from 121 to 221. I think this one is a buy under 200. Honestly, any company that's involved in aerospace has a tailwind so strong, 
It cannot be constrained by banking issues or interest rate fluctuations. Here I'm talking about Raytheon Technologies. So that one going down. GE. Yes, I like that one. And the aforementioned Honeywell. I bet the terrible action in these stocks will look like a gift in retrospect, even two to three weeks from now. Like the China opening, the end of the inventory glove for the semis, the aerospace cycle is tried and true every time I've ever seen it. Usually lasts about seven years, by the way, so you're not too late. It just started. Fourth, forgotten in this fray is all the money the federal government's recently earmarked for infrastructure, K-12 through 12 schools, and semiconductor foundries. So many companies compete at the federal trough here. Anything earth-moving, anything involved with more efficient heating, efficient ventilation, efficient air conditioning, that means no green, you know, trying to cut down on uh, any sort of Let's just say on decarbonization, okay? You can't go wrong with decarbonization. Stopping those green grants. We just have to stop this kind of, well, no, you know what? Go read Larry Fink's letter. That's where I picked this up from this morning. It comes out, he's the CEO of BlackRock, and he has a tremendous, tremendous, really great section on why decarbonization is the future. Finally, there's cybersecurity. This, uh, now, this isn't front and center, I know, uh, perhaps because we haven't seen a, a lot of hacks of late. But cyber threats may have doubled last year from the year before. You just didn't see them. I think the reason why you haven't seen them is, is because, well, they're being stopped. Who are they being stopped by? How about Palo Alto? How about CrowdStrike? I recommend owning one, one of these, not both. We own Palo Alto for the Chowell Trust because it was the first company to adopt the mantra that it had to turn a profit. Not just losing money, chasing revenue growth like so many hack software engine and companies and that are just going to fall by the wayside by the end of the cycle. And I'm not talking about illusory earnings that are made by Xing out the amount you pay to employees and stock. Faux accounting, as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about making real money. Enough that I bet Palo Alto will soon be out of the S&P 500. Bottom line, consider this list your what does the banking crisis have to do with the price to earnings multiple of and then name the stocks that fit into these sectors. That way you'll have something to do if Credit Suisse isn't bought by the Swiss government as it should be or another American bank gets seized by the FDIC. How about we go to Enrique in Arkansas. Enrique. How you doing, Jim? Pucha, pucha. Ah. Enrique, I'm, I'm just, it's humming here. It's humming. What's up? <laughs> well, I got I to answer a question about uh, Bank of America. What's the future of Bank of America? Enrique, let me just say this point blank. Bank of America should not be where it is. But it's in the banking cohort, and I've never seen a group so despised. So we don't have anything to do here other than wait until it gets an even higher yield. That's why I've not been recommending a stock that I think is terrific and is down a great deal. Look, in the face of all this negativity, there's still stocks that can work in this environment. Don't forget that decarbonization theme. I'm telling you, that is lasting. Man Money Tonight. T-Mobile announced that it's buying Mint Mobile, the low-cost wireless service part of it. It's owned by... It's owned by... Uh, Ryan Reynolds. I got the exclusive. Yeah, yeah, actually, he's here. No one believes it, but he is here. Then what can Adobe Squirter tell us about what's going on in the world of tech? I'm getting more of the story with the top pair. So your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Stay with Craig. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month 
like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This morning, T-Mobile announced that it's buying the parent company of Mint Mobile and Ultra Mobile. Those are two value-oriented wireless brands for as much as $1.35 billion in cash and stock. Now, earlier today, we got a chance to sit down with Mike Siebert, the president and CEO of T-Mobile U.S., along with the partial owner of Mint Mobile, some guy named uh, two hours, two hours, Ryan Reynolds. Hey, maybe you heard of him. Uh, I'm starstruck. I admit it. We're going to go in Hollywood. Take a look. We've got two iconoclasts here. And I'm very proud to have you both on Mad Money because what you've done is done very well for the people. And that's been terrific for profitability. We have Ryan Reynolds. We have Mike Siebert. And it's an honor. Uh, I would like you just to describe, Ryan, what you did, uh, what you started with, what you created, and why it's great for Mike to buy it. Okay, well, um, I started with Mint Mobile. introduced me by uh, Mr. David Glickman, who I sit on the board with at the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And... Um, he had created an incredibly innovative MVNO product, uh, and I bought uh, a pretty large chunk of the company. And um, uh, you know, ultimately, what I think what we do, myself and my company, Maximum Effort, is you know, I, I was saying earlier, you know, you guys have you've forgotten more about investing than I'll ever know. But I think what we do really well over there is emotional investment. And I think cr- when you create emotional investment, you not only create affinity, but you you also I think create resilience for a brand that can help you through the ups and downs. You have this emotional moat around your brand that sort of allows it to be quite, you know, resilient. So that was always the, the game plan, but like, you know, this is something, is that phone service is an essential service, you know? It's a lot of people that are in my position that come from you know, showbiz and that sort of stuff, you're sort of looking at uh, aspirational items and I sort of, our, our North Star is anti-aspirational items. So, you know, so phone service being an essential service, something that is not provided by the government, something that is everybody needs, has increasingly grown to something that is uh, dependent upon by, by millions and millions of people all over the world. Um, and this, this is one of the reasons I wanted to tell the Mint Mobile story. It's affordable. Uh, people are able to have this essential service for a, a cost that is, is utterly reasonable. And, you know, once we got into to this situation, which has been uh, quite incredible, if you ask me, with Mike Sievert and, and T-Mobile, we really feel like we can both help each other in, in an amazing way. I think Mint has been, through our, our CMO, Aaron North, who's just a genius, uh, we, we've been able to really crack that code, that you know, digital D2C marketing code um, that has eluded a lot of our, 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 uh, our, our colleagues in, in different, uh, different well, companies. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. The ethos of T-Mobile, from, you know, from John, I always felt this, the ethos, is to do exactly what you just said. Help them. There's a gap. 
a serious gap between what the haves and haves not had. I never thought that you could be radical in phone service. But this company, this man, is somewhat representative of the ethos of T-Mobile. Oh, spot on, Jim. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. The basic ideas of these brands are so aligned. I mean, Mint Mobile has been all about giving people choices they would have never had if Mint wasn't here. And because of that, Mint is now, and this is really great, the nation's leader as a digital pure play wireless brand. And that means nobody stands between Mint Mobile and the customer. They're able to forge that relationship directly. And you shouldn't be surprised that at T-Mobile, we admire that so much because that's how we operate. You know, we're all about changing the rules of this industry in favor of customers. And when we bring these brands together, we're able to give owners economics to Mint, which means we can turbocharge the growth of this brand that customers love. It's definitely the right way to go. I know your company well, and this is something that actually is going to be additive to uh, for shareholders who want good earnings. Ryan, I think a lot of people obviously know you as just an amazing, amazing ad. Um, I hate being starstruck. <laughs> I'm starstruck, Jim. Yeah, I mean, I'm starstruck, but how do you have time to do this? You did aviation, Jim. You're obviously uh, what I regard as someone who's probably one of the most talented, if not the most talented, actor today. And yet you're also someone who doesn't dabble, but is really in. There's, there's only one Ryan. Yeah. How do you do it? Um, well, I'm, I would definitely say I go all in with everything I do. Um, you know, I have an amazing team around me. I have a partner named George Dewey and James Tony over at Maximum Effort. And, you know, we have a lot of different things. I mean, we have a production company, a marketing company, a fund. You know, there's a lot going on at Maximum Effort. So thankfully, I have incredible folks that work with me. But yeah, I am, you know, I only have so much bandwidth. So I, I do have to, you know, Aviation Gin is uh, obviously a big one as well. I do have to let something go. It's very, very big. Well, yeah. And I, and I, I have to. I think I have to let something go. So actually, this morning I let um, I let my family know that I'm going to be leaving, um, <laughs> just because there's not a ton. You know, there's only so many hours in the day and only so much I can do. I'm well, you, look, you have to make Islands. sacrifices. Right, we all do. They right. understand. All... I think the kids are well looked after. I feel like uh, Blake's got this. Well, you know, and, you um, have to make changes in life. Yeah. You have to spend more time at work and making more money, <laughs> because on your tombstone you want to say he worked really hard. Yes, right? that's very true. <laughs> right. That's, that's very exactly. True. What the, well, the good thing is I work a lot from home. Which has been amazing. In New York. So, yeah, so I can still walk the kids to school. I get to pick them up. I get to be present, or at least appear right. present. But when you came up with this idea, or your team, okay, uh, a lot of us didn't know there was a gap. A lot of us didn't even realize that there's this underserved population. Yeah. And a lot of us didn't think that it mattered. So, obviously, again, in the anti aspirational theme, what you did was come up with something from here. That yeah. Well, I mean, I, that our, 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 quite literally our North Star at Maximum Effort is bring people together in smart, fun, unexpected ways. And that's one, one you know, storytelling is, a, is an incredibly broadly applicable thing. People talk about for building organizations that, uh, you know, uh, 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 best practices. Best practices are amazing. You need best practices. But I think we overlook storytelling sometimes. And in that kind of Venn diagram in the middle, these two intersect at culture. And the, together, if you have best practices, you have great storytelling, you're able to like grow things, grow organizations in really organic ways. And Mint was one of those kind of one in a billion sort of products that was A plus when I got there. I didn't innovate the product. Okay. I have not, I just, my job was to create as much awareness around this product as humanly possible and engineer a marketing campaign through this D2C kind of network that we'd created. And now, was, uh, in the structure of the deal, I know some of your people are going to stay on. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and to me, let's not minimize this. Uh, how many people might get coverage who would not using the, the mint 
Well, as you know, Mint has a really unique value proposition in the marketplace. I mean, $15 a month and you can buy in bulk in advance. Isn't and this is, this is just incredible, right? This is allowing people access to real wireless on T-Mobile's 5G network that they might not have been able to get access to otherwise. And so what bringing these companies together is all about bringing that proposition to more and more and more people. You know, Ryan talks about this connection that customers have, and that's one of the things that we admired about Mint Mobile. It's about customer love. Customers love this brand. They feel connected to it. Nobody is between them and the brand. You and so didn't for have us, to gin up. We want to bring that message to more people. <laughs> yeah. That was it. You're here well, all That week. was my best well, line ever. Well, really, but really, you know, the thing I'm most excited about is T-Mobile's ability to scale Mint, you know, to allow right. us to I mean, really the, reach more people. And that's uh, why it's right to sell at this time. And yeah. you, I mean, we were already using T-Mobile's towers. You know, we were we, we had a deal with them up till right, I think the end of 2025, maybe a little bit into 2026. Um, and now this really secures the us for the foreseeable future with the, with the brand. I'm, I'm really excited. I do need, in a period of tremendous uh, pessimism, one of the things that I believe is that business is the greatest force for social change today. A lot of things that you back are social change. Mm-hmm. Good for everybody. Yeah. I mean, do you, where do you think business is right now? I'm not asking you to show for capitalism, the opposite. Yeah. Do you think business is a positive force? I think business can be a positive force, absolutely. I think it's who's running the business. You know, it always comes from the top down. When you have a great leader and somebody who has actual genuine empathy in their heart, you can, I mean, miracles can happen, amazing things can happen. So, and that does kind of find its way down. Because, I mean, otherwise I would say Ryan Reynolds, phone company i mean how did you get an affinity for that but obviously if you feel that there's gaps in these but also if you're intrigued by something like aviation gin you just kind of help i mean it doesn't sound like it sounds like you recognize the power yeah. of your brand but have not become your brand no and i don't know maybe i don't even think you've changed <laughs> i've definitely changed i think i've changed probably in better ways you know i'm glad i'm not sitting here next to you in my 20s uh, this I've, would be I've, a disaster. Interviewed a, I've interviewed um, a lot of people who, who are so-called stars, if you don't mind. Sure, you don't know. Yeah. And they almost always know that they're stars. Uh, I think of you as a business person who's a great actor. Maybe I should be flipping it, but I'm just up. But I don't know. I, I want to congratulate you for just doing one more really great thing. Thank you. Yes, you make money, too. How about that? Sure. But you've done a great thing. Yeah. Brian, it's just yeah, an honor having you show. Pleasure. Mike, as always, it's an honor Thank you, thank you, thank you. I brought you both, um, I brought you you both in celebration here. Um, I got something, too? Uh, yeah, of course. Your your first magenta swag. Guys. Got plenty of magenta swag. Guys. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Gentlemen, Guys. thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, man. I'm going to sing Rocket Man, if that's yeah. okay. Are you guys <laughs> on the uh, Thank great. you, guys. Thank you, thank you. feel for Adobe here. I mean, look, after the close, they reported, yes, a magnificent quarter, a major sales and earnings beat. Management raising their full year forecast substantially. Yet I wonder whether these numbers will get the attention they deserve because everybody's so focused on the darn banking fiasco. The stock roared in half hours trading, and you might think you might have missed it, but wait a second. It's up from the September lows, but it's still way down from its 2021 highs. I keep telling you we need to find secular growth themes to hunker down as the economy slows. And after these numbers, I'm wondering if the digital media marketing software play could potentially fall to this category after a tough period where, of course, it was lost in the wilderness. So let's check in with Shantanu Narayan, he's the chairman and CEO of Adobe, to get a better read on this blowout quarter and what comes next. Mr. Narayan, it's a joy to see you again on Mad Money. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. It's great to be back on Mad Money. 
Well, Shantanu, this is a tremendous acceleration of growth that I'm seeing here. At a time when many people were indeed worried about the macro economy, it seems like a combination of ruthless execution and new products made it so you really had a blow away quarter. Uh, we did have a great start uh, to Q1, Jim, as you point out. And, you know, we've always said that digital is such an amazing tailwind uh, in this economy. And when you look at our businesses, whether it's the creative business, uh, whether it's the document business that grew 22% uh, on a constant currency, or whether it's the digital experience business where we're helping companies engage with their customers that grew 14% on a constant currency basis. Uh, we had strength across our segments, which was great. You know, I, I just, sometimes I want people to understand the, the true growth engine you are. Uh, I've been trying to do podcasts with, with my partner, Jeff Marks. And all the things that we can't do are being solved by a product that you just put out. And it's going to make it so everybody can do a podcast. Why don't you tell us about it so people know about the innovation engine? Well, that's so true, Jim, because it's not just, you know, the core businesses that are continuing to fuel our business. Our innovative product roadmap, and we're going to be having Adobe Summit next week, and you're going to hear uh, some even more exciting uh, announcements in terms of what we are doing with our real-time CDP, as well as what we are doing on the generative AI space, which I know is an area of interest. But uh, Adobe Podcast, which you're referring to, it tackles the hard problem of how everybody who's creative and has an idea that they want to transmit, how they can do that using audio, and even if they record this in a really crowded space, which is noisy, it enables you to clean that up, deal with speech, and get it in a pristine quality out for uh, you know any audience that you want. And so we've always said everybody's a creative, and as long as we can help get their imagination to life, I think we're doing great. I also saw, I felt great uh, enthusiasm and optimism about small and medium-sized businesses after reading through your release. And I'm sure they're going to flock to the Venetian next week because I think a lot of us felt like, well, wait a second, DocuSign's passed Adobe. That's clearly wrong. DocuSign's on the way down. That maybe these, this uh, Canva is passed Adobe. I don't see that's possible, not with the kind of precision you need. And a lot of people feel that e-com is slowed. I don't feel that way after I read your release. Well, if you take a step back, Jim, I mean, when we talk about our addressable market opportunity, it's north of $100 billion. And so I think what we have absolutely done is by pioneering all these markets that we're in, we are attracting other companies who look at it and say, hey, I'd like a piece of uh, that pie or I also uh, want to be in that area. So, But if you think about the company that has actually pioneered these markets, that is innovating at an accelerated pace, and that continues to have a unique and differentiated vision. Uh, let's take digital marketing. I mean, this is where uh, you talked about electronic commerce. Uh, the reality is that every business has to be a digital business. And we saw a number of single product point competitors who came in and said, we may deal with con conversational marketing, or we may deal with product analytics. But the real problem to solve for the chief revenue officer, or the chief digital officer, or the chief marketing officer is everything from how do you attract that customer, how do you deliver a compelling experience, how do you personalize it, and how do you do commerce? And so I think in this uh, economic climate, there's certainly a flight towards companies that have this integrated version 
and can actually deliver on that entire promise. And so, you know, we're excited uh, about how uh, Q1 went. And as you saw in some of our results, and especially as it related to digital media ARR, that's why we actually raised our targets well, let's, uh, let's, for the fiscal year. Let's go right there. I think the target may actually turn out to be conservative. Let me deposit this because it's what you just talked about. I know business people who want to use chat GPT, and that's true. But you know what? It's an abstraction unless it's done within the framework of a larger uh, platform. I don't think you can use ChatGPT in and of itself if you're a small, medium-sized business. Yes, if you're a single proprietor trying to fool around. But doesn't it have to be integrated with Adobe to really matter? That's absolutely right, uh, Jim, because if you think about it, what... uh a number of these uh, AI companies have done is you have some fundamental models. You have the large language model that, you know, OpenAI and Microsoft have certainly pioneered. You'll see some exciting things that Adobe is doing in the visual space. Uh, But that's just one aspect of what has to happen in AI, which is what are the fundamental platforms. What then has to happen is that needs to be translated into the footprint of what a marketer is trying to do, or what a creative professional is trying to do, or what a knowledge worker is trying to do. And that's where the Adobe footprint in terms of the number of customers that we touch, when you think about the fact that Acrobat has 700 million people uh, who are using this on a monthly basis, that's where the magic comes to life because you're interacting with documents or you're trying to create a video or you're trying to deliver a email campaign and so, you know, a lot of companies have what I would call a thin veneer over, you know, some of these fundamental models. But Adobe is the one company that can not only invest in the fundamental models for the areas that we're in, whether that be marketing, whether that be visual, whether that be documents, but we also have the footprint that then allows that to be translated into real customer value, the workflows and what customers are trying to do. Well, what I think the one, the last piece of the puzzle is a company called Figma that you're trying to buy. And I think as much as I respect Mr. Cantor at the Justice Department, I think if you are in favor of small, medium-sized businesses and solo proprietors to be able to advance, they can't do it by having Figma and you. You can go one place, make it cheaper. I don't see anyone who's disenfranchised by this. Will you be able to convince what I think make a very easy argument that if you do have an imperative, a doctrine that small, medium-sized businesses should prosper in this country, you need to make this merger happen. Jim, I think you're actually uh, pointing to two really fundamental things that are so important and critical to the U.S. economy. The first is, how do you have a vibrant small and medium business uh, that enables these companies to have the power of technology, enable them to compete with larger companies? And then second thing that you're really addressing is, if a lot of these startups don't feel like there's an economic incentive Uh, to in some cases go public or in some cases have a transaction, then I don't think that augurs well for the U.S. economy. In our particular case, as it relates to Figma, we're excited about advancing product design. We've always talked about how we can get collaborative creativity on the web. And this new emerging competitive space about creativity and productivity, we think we have a vision in there. But If you look at the results, I mean, it's clear that, as you pointed out at the front, we're ruthlessly focused on executing against the organic opportunities that we have. But we do believe this is an adjacency. We're confident in our facts. 
and we'll continue to engage with the regulatory authorities. Well, look, I'm, I'm confident that your case is a good one. But more importantly, I'm confident that your, your conference next week is going to be very exciting because these are blowout quarters. What a great set of numbers. What a great forecast boost. I, I forgot the technology companies still do that. Thank you so much for, for giving me, restoring my faith in technology. Mr. Narayan, welcome, welcome back and congratulations. Thank you so much, Jim. Great to be on your show as always. Enjoy your conference and knock them dead. Thank you, Shadow. Man, money's back into the Why worry? Just wire it to JP Morgan. We'll be fine. That's the prevailing sentiment among practically every chief financial officer in America right now. And it might soon be the sentiment among all the wealthy people, unless the Treasury, the FDIC, and the Fed promise to insure all deposits at every bank beyond the current $250,000 limit. I'm not saying that's fair. But right now, all over America, there are people who manage immense pools of cash. Until last week's seizure of Silicon Valley Bank, the managers of these pools were relatively indifferent to where they kept their cash. Local banks, regional banks, national banks, same difference. They rarely thought about how the FDIC only insures $250,000 worth of deposits. They couldn't envision a world where the bank of choice was taking the kind of risk that could render them insolvent. Aren't the rules against all banks taking that too much risk? What the examiners looking into the smaller banks fail to point out, though, is that even good bonds can get crushed when interest rates are jacked up rapidly, and the Fed has now engineered the fastest series of rate hikes in American history. Some banks turned out to be buying treasuries at what was generational lows in yields, while they had a concentrated base of depositors who might need their money all at once. That was the case with Silicon Valley Bank. Now, with that bank seizure, these stewards of giant hordes of cash don't know if their money's insured above $250,000 at other banks. Sure, some nameless Treasury official is telling some people not to worry. Oh, well, that's just great. If you're running big money, that anonymous guarantee isn't worth a bucket of warm spit. What we know is that the rules are different for large commercial banks. They get real stress tests, unlike the regionals, which are subjected to a much lighter set of regulations. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, they've all had the full financial colonoscopy. We also have many ways to judge the safety of a bank. And if you're looking for the polar opposite of SVB, well, guess what? It's J.P. Morgan, largest bank in the country. And in a way, that's the problem. Anyone who's managing large quantities of cash simply doesn't want to worry about the risk of a bankrupt. Doesn't want to scrutinize every nook and cranny of a bank's bond portfolio. That's ridiculous. Who needs that? So unless they're in a coma, they're going to take their money out of the regionals and wire it to J.P. Morgan or its big money, con- money center compadres. That's a situation where a country ends up with only a handful of viable banks. And it's not in our national interest to have only a handful of banks. It's not in our interest to have only any one bank that's truly superior to others in terms of safety. That's crazy. That's the way they do it in Europe, though. Obviously, it's not working. Take a look at Credit Suisse. We want a vibrant banking environment in this country with thousands of small operators catering to local areas, especially disadvantaged areas. That's what's most important. What happened last week threatened all these smaller banks because the government hasn't given us an explicit guarantee guarantee that deposits north of $250,000 are safe. We only have an implicit semi-promise. If you care at all about antitrust, about competition, about corporate concentration, the government needs to extend that deposit guarantee and make it explicit. Hence the new mantra for every corporate treasurer if that doesn't happen. No one ever got hurt wiring all the money at J.P. Morgan. That's true. But it's not what you and I want. 
our financial sector already got way too concentrated during the Great Recession. The last thing we need is to make that worse. And I don't see how to prevent it without extending FDIC insurance to all deposits. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to defend it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.